Father, we love you and we trust you. Um, we depend on you. Um, there is no one else. Um, so God, we just start by asking uh, that you would come and uh, your presence would just continue to move in our hearts as we process your word, as we think deeply about you, God. Thank you for meeting us in our homes across the city as we worship you, Lord. Um, but we just, we, just, we just declare to you how much we need you and um, that there is, there is nothing else that we can possibly depend on than you. So we trust you. We lean into you this morning. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, uh, it's good to be with you uh, remotely. Um, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, excited for what God's going to do. I just, I miss you. I miss being with you. We, we so uh, miss getting to sing together, uh, getting to pray together. Thankful for technology and we, that we can do all this, but we miss you. We're ready to be back together. Uh, just know that we're diligently working on uh, getting some in-person events uh, this month. So be on the lookout online uh, for uh, those events coming up. Uh, excited to get back together, to pray together, to worship, to baptize at some point. We're, we're eager to do that. So uh, be looking for that. Uh, in way of announcement, uh, our shared practices. Kyle talked a little bit about this last week. Um, this week, we get to roll out uh, our, our, our first one for the month of August. Um, you will be receiving in the mail, you probably already have, uh, something that looks probably a little better than this. Uh, on the back, uh, you'll get an, an email. It's on our website. Um, but our shared practices for the, for the month, uh, we're going to do one each week. Uh, and this week, uh, first week of August, our first one is Scripture uh, before screens. And this one is really simple. Before opening uh, your phone, computer in the morning, open the Word of God. Start there. Uh, we're, we're, we're so excited. We, 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 we believe that we need these practices to unite our hearts together when we're not, we're not physically able to get together. Uh, we, we love the solidarity that, that that brings. If you remember in January, we did a fast and it was uh, incredible. Just got to have like real-time processing with people on what God was speaking and, and what he was doing. And, and we just want that same thing to happen with these practices. So this first week, join me and all of your brothers and sisters at the parks in the first thing you do in the morning is opening the Word of God. So before you check the weather, before you check your news feeds or social media, put that away and grab your scripture and start your day there. Um, and we're going to do it together. And each week, um, we'll have another shared practice that we'll do. Um, so excited for all that that will be. Um, so let's get to it this morning. Um, in 1938, engineers began to build uh, the Tacoma Narrows Bridge in Washington. Uh, it took about two and a half years to build, about $7 million. Uh, so this is the 30s, so that's about $126 million in today's equivalent. So not a cheap bridge. Uh, the bridge, when finished, stretched uh, over a mile long across the Puget Sound, uh, and it was the third largest suspension bridge in the world. Uh, it was incredible. It was, a, it was actually a, really a work of art. 
It was extremely tall, slender design, and, and just an, an elegant uh, engineering masterpiece. Uh, but on November 7th, 1940, just four months after completion, a 42-mile-per-hour wind blew through the sound and sent the bridge twisting uh, and, and, and torsionally rotating. And due to miscalculations of aerodynamics and this really relatively minor wind, uh, the bridge gave way and collapsed totally into the sound where it remains today. The structure that was built and, and, and looked sound looked complete, when faced with this wind resistance, when faced with this wind disruption, just gave way. It was a big deal. Um, this has been uh, quite a season for us. Uh, I think we would all agree, for everyone, um, for the world. Uh, I, I, when we finally get, get to catch up with one another, we're really kind of lost for words. I feel like I'm just saying things like, wow, this has just been wild, or this has been crazy, or what a weird season, but we don't even have really a lot of words to put to all the feelings and experiences um, we've had over the last five months. So much has happened, so much is happening, and it can just be overwhelming. I know I have been overwhelmed, and when I'm overwhelmed, when we are overwhelmed, we, we start searching for answers. We start looking for the meaning of it all. And when you begin uh, to watch the news and watch the numbers and and watch your social media feeds, there's just no shortage of people uh, or authorities uh, that are ready and waiting to answer all of those questions you have, uh, to tell you the meaning. Uh, and, and all of this information coming at us with outrage and confusion over uh, just ever-changing solutions to the problems that we're facing, uh, it's just disorienting. It's just disorienting. So as Christians, I just feel obligated this morning to just remind us, uh, to, to remind us as believers uh, that if we're not grounded, especially in this season, but if we're not grounded in the word, if we're not growing in maturity, built up in Christ with a firm foundation, a season like this can potentially send us twisting and contorting, heading towards collapse, heading towards confusion, losing our compass, running out of spiritual gas. We just are on E if we're not watchful. Paul warns us in Ephesians 4, um, he first admonishes us to grow up in maturity and unity uh, and understanding of Christ. But then in verse 14, he says, so that, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So I want to break that, I want to break that down, just those last three things, really quickly, as a way of an introduction uh, to, to where we're going. And, and we're still in the Psalms today, but I want to use this as an introduction. Let's start with every wind of doctrine. Um, we have access to a seemingly infinite number of Christian voices right now, Christian authorities. So many people speaking on God's behalf, so many people writing on God's behalf, and this isn't necessarily a good thing. It's not necessarily a good thing. From our social media, uh, to podcasts, to articles, to blogs, to Uncle Jim on your mom's side, uh, 
We have so many voices claiming that they know what God is doing. They know what God wants us to do. And they're probably not all wrong, but they're certainly not all right. The reality is there are well-intentioned people wanting to give God's answer when maybe God is being silent. Maybe he's asking us to wait. Maybe he's asking us to pause. There's, there's good intention people wanting to give a divine solution, but are really just giving their own opinion. So be careful that you are not too easily swayed by these things. Even when someone speaks theologically, know the word for yourself and seek wise counsel. Talk to a real person. Seek biblical pastoral counsel. Uh, maybe don't talk to Uncle Jim on your mom's side. Uh, Sorry if your name is Jim and you happen to be an uncle. You just happen to be my weird relative archetype today. So uh, forgive me. Um, but yeah, get with wise counsel. Don't just uh, assume you heard it. It must be true. Um, so secondly, there's first every wind of doctrine, and then there's human cunning. Paul warns us against human cunning. Be on your guard against well-meaning worldly solutions to all of the problems that we're facing right now. Many solutions and explanations are offered uh, on all the recent issues that have been going on. And there, there is a lot from the pandemic to uh, the conversation about race and racism in our country to just the uh, aggressive political polarization, the outrage. Um, so many people are giving solutions and explanations. But a mature believer knows when to engage and when not to engage. A mature believer seeks to understand first the heart of God and then use godly wisdom to discern and comprehend what's going on. Slow to speak, quick to hear and listen. A mature believer doesn't obsess over solutions, but trusts the heart of God, depends on him. A mature believer doesn't even trust their own heart because they remember Jeremiah 17, which says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? A mature believer even understands that there inside them, the, the answer doesn't dwell. Proverbs 14 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Worldly solutions and human understanding can seem right and good to us. And we can be tempted to overestimate our ability to see clearly and in our zeal to fix, in our zeal to solve for, we end up creating an equally evil plan or equally evil path. So beware that people and situations are rarely, if hardly ever, as simple as, as they might seem on the surface. We're complex. Our issues are complex. We desperately need the wisdom of God. More than ever before, we need the wisdom of God to navigate this world. So as you dialogue, as we dialogue on all of these uh, things that are going on, remember Philippians 4, verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. For God is coming, but Jesus is coming Back. There's no time to be argumentative and get into dissension and disunity and, and outrage. There's just no time for that. 
Jesus is coming back. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, including those that you might disagree with. Let your conversations, your posts, your words be seasoned with salt that we might be the aroma of Christ in an age that just reeks of human solutions, that reeks of human pride and arrogance. Let us be the aroma of Christ there. So here's where I see this getting a little bit close to home. I believe that a current fundamental error for the church, and and really specifically in the South, is that we attempt to stabilize the kingdom. We attempt to move the kingdom forward by power. And Jesus never aligned himself with power. Uh, In fact, he came humbly in a manger, um, and he sought no political throne, and he identified himself publicly with the hungry, with the thirsty, with the stranger, with the naked, with the sick, with the prisoner, with the least of these, all the while preaching, blessed is the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think many Christians uh, are currently being deceived that the way forward for the church is by preserving power or reclaiming some right or at best establishing a Christian majority. And and friends, I want to remind us that historically and biblically, the real church, the true church, the bride of Christ, has always been a creative, healing minority in the culture. Maybe times it's, it's, it's gotten bigger uh, and more followers, but we are a minority. We're this remnant of God set about in the earth for reconciliation. So remember that the enemy's always trying to hijack, hijack our vision for what uh, the kingdom is, for what it means to be a Christian uh, in this age, and he's cunning, which brings us to this last, uh, this last one. Finally, be on guard against craftiness and deceitful schemes. There's one thing that I have uh, become totally convinced of. It's that we're fighting a spiritual battle. And and this is so hard for us to remember. Um, We have a tendency to just see the world through physical eyes, um, thinking we can fight ancient demonic battles uh, with uh, the might of modern intellectualism or political occupation or just good old-fashioned American spirit. And and the answer to that is absolutely not. We cannot fight these battles. Satan is far more crafty than we know. Uh, He is for one thing in this world. He's for chaos. He's not on any political side. He's on all sides fighting for chaos. His agents set about to subversely infiltrate every part of our life, from the systems we're a part of to our very minds themselves, wielding fear playing to our pride as his instruments. What chance do we have? We have God's word. It is written, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. We fight by the spirit and the word of God only. There is no other, there is no other way or weapons that we can fight with. I love those words, it is written. Christ himself, when, he, when the spirit led him out into the desert to be tempted, he was tempted three times, and three times he spoke back to Satan saying, it 
is written. He didn't argue. He didn't reason. He spoke truth to the enemy. I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. It says this, it is written, stand upon it. If the devil were 50 devils in one, he could not overcome you. On the other hand, if you leave, it is written. If you, if, if you, if you stop there, Satan knows way more about reasoning than you. He is far older and has studied mankind very thoroughly and knows all your weak points. Therefore, the contest would be an unequal one. Do not argue with him, but wave in his face the banner of God's word. Satan cannot endure the infallible truth, for it is death to the falsehood of which he is the father. He's the father of lies. So this morning, we're going to turn to the word, again, to the word as a source point of spiritual maturity and growth, and as the choice weapon to fight the good fight to endure to the end, okay? So grab your Bible. Um, We are continuing in Psalms, and I pray that what we just talked about kind of sets the stage for us to hear the heart of the psalmist in Psalm 131. So turn there, Psalm 131. I love the Psalms. The Psalms are the speech of those who know God's heart. And I believe, and I've felt this, I've experienced this, the nearer you get to God, the more the Psalms just make sense. The more you recognize that these writers were comprehending the ways of God. They knew about his presence. They understood God in such an incredible way because they spent time with the Father. The Psalms give us through poetry and song language and vocabulary for our relationship with the Father. So let's read Psalm 131. This is a Psalm of David. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul. And like a weaned child with its mother, Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Another Spurgeon quote about Psalm 131. He says, this is is one of the shortest Psalms to read, but it's one of the longest to learn. Um, This is an incredible Psalm, and I think there's a lot here for us. But this Psalm is, uh, is about contentment. Uh, It's about stillness, a quietness of the soul that's rooted not in circumstances, but in God himself, in God who never changes and is eternally faithful. So before we get into more into Psalm 131, I want you to take a minute. Uh, I want to pose this question to you. Discuss this in your your living room or at your home. Uh, This question, why do we struggle to find contentment in this life? Why is this a struggle? And where do we look for contentment? Where are you looking? Where are we looking uh, for this contentment?
All right, well, welcome back. I hope you had a good dialogue. Uh, that's one that we can really wrestle with. Um, I believe it's pretty self-evident that uh, we're just not naturally content people um, from our obsession with fame and entertainment and workaholism and compulsory shopping. We're just not really people at rest, and I think we can see it. Uh, I think we can feel it in us, this anxiousness over so many things. Um, Kyle hit on, on some of this last week um, in regards to all the information that we take in, but I just want to reiterate, we are just constantly, this is a big deal for us in this society at this time, and I think you'll see why. We are constantly consuming so much information uh, from around the globe, everywhere, um, crisis, um, and we just aren't built to handle that. And you can feel that when you are constantly scrolling, constantly viewing information. We're just ever before just endless data and um, uninterrupted images. And we don't possess the amount of empathy, compassion, uh, energy needed to address all of those things, much less to even understand uh, what's going on all over the world. That's just not for us. It's too much. Uh, Buckminster uh, fully created the knowledge doubling curve, and he noticed that until 1900, human knowledge or information doubled about every 100 years. Every century, the amount of information in the world doubled. He then noted by the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling at about the rate of every 25 years. And then today, on average, because of the internet, because of our connectivity, the amount of information, the amount of knowledge is doubling every 13 months. Almost every year, it's doubling the amount of information in the world. There's a study done by IBM that says, because of the internet, because the internet of things, all of our phones and devices uh, connected to the internet, that there will be a day soon coming where the amount of information will double every 12 hours. Information isn't going anywhere. In fact, it's, it's getting much more and more and more, and we have to be aware that this amount of inf information can just totally overtake us. Our souls can't handle uh, what we are producing even and, and what we're exposed to. But yet we find ourselves just addicted to more and more. And that's ultimately pride. It's ultimately pride that convinces us that we can know everything, we can be everywhere, we can fix everything. Um, that was just really the lie of the garden. Do you want to know what God knows? If you only knew what God knows... And we attempt to do that even now. In Psalm 131, there's just three verses, but I believe they speak very directly to our hearts in this age. Verse 1, David, uh, the psalmist, begins by addressing the enemy of contentment, which is, in fact, human pride. It's our pride. This is an arrogant or uh, anxious striving to win at life, always comparing always consuming, always working the angle, never at rest, never content, never happy in God. And there's three ways he comes against pride. First, he comes against his heart, where pride 
engages his desires and his feelings. Secondly, he calls out his own eyes where, where pride engages his appearance and his countenance. This is the person that visibly uh, carries themselves uh, and speaks with superiority uh, to everyone around them. Um, and then finally, the pride of actions and achievement, uh, do, the doing of things to attain some sort of worth. So at three levels, David is committed to killing pride in his life, in his heart, in his very appearance, and then in his actions. May we do the same. This verse, though, is, 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 is weird for us as Americans to read. It, it almost feels like a, a manifesto against everything we've been taught, right? Uh, as kids, I, I, I remember and, and I see it now, we're encouraged to imagine ourselves as uh, professional athletes or fashion, high fashion models or, or multi-platinum recording artists. Um, I distinctly remember several classrooms where the teacher looked around the room and said, any of you can be an astronaut. I mean, come on, that's probably not true. Uh, not our entire class. Maybe Albert on the front row that prefers his abacus over a calculator, but not everybody else. There's, there's just, that's just not reality. Um, and, and that teaching is, is, is not all wrong. We should be encouraged and we should be striving to work hard and accomplish goals. But I think the question is, um, where are we getting those goals from? Who or what informs our ambitions even? And if it's not the word of God, it's definitely the world. It's definitely human cunning. It's, it's human solutions. It's, it is pride. Uh, in, in all serious, seriousness, though, this verse, um, it really grinds against our culture uh, to live a quiet life, to not think about things that are too great and mighty for us. Um, it grinds against what our culture preaches. And if I'm honest, uh, against what I believe sometimes. Our culture says if you, wanna, if you want to matter, do something big, always be speaking. People that matter need to always be speaking, posting, writing, achieving, making big moves. Big risk means big money. Be loud. Be proud. Pride not only goes undetected in our day, it is celebrated. So how do we embrace this psalm when uh, anonymity and a quiet life are actually despised by the entire culture around us? Humility, friends, is the only way. It's the only way of understanding. Proverbs 22, 4 says this, by humility and the fear of the Lord come riches, come honor, come life. Humility and the fear of the Lord. Humility is a strange thing, though. Um, it's, it's a virtue in which all the other virtues come from, but yet it cannot be sought directly. You can't go, I'm going to be humble, because as soon as you make any sort of advancement in humility, you acknowledge it, and it becomes pride. Humility is a righteous outcome of being, first and foremost, in God's presence, serving others, and practicing denying yourself. Resisting the temptation to always be about yourself. Self-forgetfulness is actually what it's referred to. When you experience God's presence, you see how great and awesome he is. 
And conversely, you see how small and fragile we are. We are but dust. True godly humility is more of an instinct than an action. It was the nature of Christ, right? Christ didn't go around doing humble things and saying humble things, but it was his instinct to be humble, to put others first, to put the Father first and foremost ever before him. It was his instinct. So David uh, further describes being humble and having a quiet soul in verse 2. He says this, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. I've calmed and quieted my soul. We're still in baby stage at our house. We've got babies. Um, and so I get this picture, this, this metaphor, really, really clearly. Um, an unweaned baby is extremely fussy. And if you've had a kid, you know. If you have an infant now, you really know. Uh, frantically always needing food. Um, always trying to get to a feeding. Um, they, they can't even actually, when they're hungry, they can't be around mom because they're clawing and wanting a feeding. They're hungry, and it's going to get loud if they're not fed. They're striving, needing, 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 needing. A, a weaned child, on the other hand, can sit comfortably in their mother's lap, simply enjoying the presence of the mother. It's really a, a, a restful thing, a beautiful thing. And isn't this the goal? Isn't this the goal of the Christian life? Uh, the Westminster Catechism, we see it. What's the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? The man uh, to, to, for man to glorify God and what? To enjoy him forever. To be able to sit in his presence and just enjoy him and have fellowship have communion with the Father. That's the chief end of man. We're going to get to do that forever as believers. And the sooner we get it, the sooner we can embrace the joy, embrace the benefit. So if, if you're looking for the answer and purpose and meaning, contentment, it's right here. It's right here. Be in his presence. Enjoy him forever. Be with God. Enjoy all of his benefits. The psalmist says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. The world is not compelled by a church, by a people overrun with the same anxiety, pursuing all of the same things that they're pursuing. No, rather, our lives should cause a great curiosity to the watching world. They should be asking, why are they so calm in the middle of all this madness. Why aren't they arguing back and forth with us? What is the, what's this peace they have? Why the quiet and not the loud? What is the source of this contentedness in spite of great loss, in spite of success? They're even, they're steadfast. Why don't they need the things I need to cope? And this is the invitation in verse 3. David invites those around him. He's saying this. And verse three is this. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever, forevermore, hope in the Lord. And he is inviting those around him. He's saying, since I have found my contentment, my calm, 
quiet soul satisfaction and turning to the Lord, resting in his power, his grace, his wisdom, I now call all of Israel, I call all around me, join me in this. Put your hope in him. Find your rest in him. Calm your troubled heart in his presence. It's the only way. Quiet your soul by resting in the promise of his goodness. And this is it. As believers, may we look more like Psalm 131 than the frantic, anxious world around us. It's so troubling. Uh, and it's getting more and more. May our demeanor and our tone, which is so important, reflect the truth. Let our tone reflect the truth, our confidence in Christ. And may peace mark each one of us as we live in the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Amen and amen and amen. Let, let me pray. Father, be with us as we go. I pray that our homes are full of peace. We practice the presence of God. I pray that as we um, participate in the shared practices together of, of, of going to Scripture first in the morning, that that would set our day up uh, in the way of peace, in the way of joy, in the way of contentedness. Let us not look for news or other sources to be our companion in this life, but only you, communion with you, and only you. Jesus, we love you, we need you, and we want more of you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.